Thank you, JT and Praise Team. Well, good morning, everyone. Hope you've had a great start to your day today. I apologize for my voice a little raspy today. Spent too much time outside yesterday, and uh, it kind of caught up with you, not to mention all the pollen that's floating around, too. So um, if you'll endure with me today, I trust it'll be a good day for this. We're going to be looking today at something relevant to our time. You know, I imagine somewhere, I just imagine somewhere today there's a child who got up, got ready for church, and in the process, you know how that goes, you've been there, as I have. Mom and dad are scruffling through the clothes to pick out something, the little child's just kind of standing there waiting for the next thing to be put on. And mom turns around to see her little one doing this. It causes her to pause for a minute. The little child says, what are they going to do to our hands today at church, mommy? Our hands? Well, yeah, mommy, the pastor said it was Palm Sunday. (laughs) Well, I hope that's uh, not a confusion that we came to church with today. It's my goal to take us to Luke chapter 19 as we will talk about Palm Sunday in a right context. And look at this passage here. I come today, of course, as many of you as we all were expecting Pastor Paul to be here. If you're really on top of your game today, you realize pretty quickly he's not the guy standing in front. Um, he came down with uh, some, uh, uh, some symptoms this week, and yes, they checked him for COVID. You know, if your big toe hurts, they check you for COVID. Uh, but they checked him for COVID. Thankfully, that was negative, but it did turn into a bit of a, a bronchitis issue. So um, be praying for him as you go through the day, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing him back here as soon as possible. Uh, so in the meantime, here we are. Palm Sunday. And uh, I hope you noticed, and I hope you'll enjoy, as you go in and out of the church these next few days, the setup out in the front yard. Uh, It's a great place to just pause for a moment. Uh, We had a lot of families last year who took the time to take a picture in front of the open tomb next Sunday. So let me throw that seed out there. Maybe that'll be a a great way for your family to gather for Easter. I'm sure you'll find plenty of friends who who would be glad to take that picture for you. And share it over social media. And tell folks, hey, we're, we're at church on Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, to serve a risen Savior. And uh, share that as you, have, as you have the opportunity. So I hope you enjoy that. We come today to uh, a time in our, our calendar year where much of our focus is on the resurrection. Uh, lots of attention given to Easter, as it's known as. And uh, well, all the commercials have sold every piece of chocolate and, and uh, publicized every chicken and egg and uh, bunny they can find, it seems like. And uh, it's easy to be distracted. It's easy to get off track. It's easy to think that Easter is just a one-day event. We're going to celebrate on Easter Sunday and sing of the resurrection and of the glorious salvation of our Lord and Savior. And then we're going to go eat. It's easy to sort of get in that mindset. I want to challenge all of us today. Let's anticipate the week ahead, day by day, building with our thoughts, our praise, our time in God's Word to focus our attention to the reality of the resurrection and everything that leads up to it. We will certainly be doing that here. Wednesday evening, I'll finish uh, uh, what's been a four-part series on the Passover. And we're going to spend some time in the Scriptures looking at the upper room and the Passover the Lord shared with His disciples on Wednesday. On Friday evening, we'll be back here, of course, for the Good Friday Communion service. The choir again will be singing. And thank you, choir. What a Great uh, reminder today of uh, the great truth of Christ on an old rugged cross. 
We'll be doing that Good, uh, good Friday Communion Service Friday evening at 7. Hope you'll plan to be here and invite lots of folks. We, that is one event we traditionally have a lot of visitors for because a lot of churches aren't doing stuff and folks are kind of looking for something. And uh, we have found this to be a very encouraging and a very blessed time together. And then, of course, next Sunday we'll gather and celebrate the resurrection in all of its fullness and glory and continue to sing as uh, we will do throughout the day. Tonight, of course, as you uh, already, I trust, is in your thinking to be here at 6 o'clock for the Echoes of Easter. And uh, to hear more, I heard the entire program yesterday, and, and you take the, the, the wonderful singing of the choir and the tremendous words of the songs that they're presenting, and you, the, what makes it so much, so much more the better is to hear the voice of children who will stand at that microphone this evening and remind us of the words of Scripture of the resurrection in the week of the Passion. So those two things together will make it an enjoyable time for sure. So we hope to see you back and uh, come early. As we often say, uh, free parking and free admission makes for a big crowd. So we anticipate there will be, be a lot of folks here, and we hope you'll plan to be here with that. It will not, by the way, be broadcast on the Internet, in case anybody asks or is wondering. Um, so it's going to be here in person and live, and that's the only way you can see it. But we do anticipate creating some CD copies of it later. Uh, but tonight, the only way you'll be able to enjoy it is going to be to be here, so we hope you can. Well, as we get to this passage in Luke chapter 19, you there? Envision with me this, this image as we look over the shoulder of Christ there, uh, riding into Jerusalem. And the multitudes gathered around him, packed as they are. Strange, none of them are wearing masks. But packed as they are around each other with their palm branches, and what we, what we find is an image that portrays to us what the Scripture tells us of in the passage here in, um, in Luke. Let's take a moment and look at that passage. I'm going to sort of jump into the middle of it. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I'll start with verse 29. I think that'll work well. And it came to pass when he, that's Christ, was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany. That that those markers mean nothing to us, typically. They are two small villages just on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, the, the path that would lead to Jerusalem would pass these two villages. And they're, they're often combined together because they're so close to each other. So Jesus is walking this path with the disciples following him. They're coming up the mount, you see there, the Mount of Olives, a place that will certainly play important in, our, in the days ahead. And evidently, he stops the group for long enough to say to two of his disciples, verse 30, go into the village over against you, over behind you, is kind of the idea we would, we would read into it. In the which, at your entering, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man set. Basically, a way to say this would be a young colt. Loose him and bring him hither, or bring him here. Verse 31, if any man ask you, why do you lose him? Thus shall you say unto him, because the Lord has need of him. Seems like a reasonable answer, doesn't it? And they that were sent, with their, uh, sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. And, as they, and I can imagine they looked at each other. Can you imagine you two guys, if I'm one of them? Just, wow, look, there it is. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? 
It's a good thing Christ gave them the advance of that conversation, too. And so their response, as they had been instructed, the Lord has need of him. And they brought him. The owner had no hesitations. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt. They sort of, uh, sort of makeshift saddle. Um, someone took off, here, put this coat and this garment. They sort of come up with a, a bit of a saddle for him to sit on. And then they set Jesus there on. Otherwise, you have to start all over. That's, there you go. Verse 36, and as he went, they spread their clothes on, in the way. Sounds odd to us, granted. But in this culture and time, this was a way to show reverence. The phrase that probably rings in our mind clearest as to what they're doing is they are preparing what we would call a red carpet entrance. We know the phrase red carpet entrance. It's the, it's the, the main passageway. It's the path of honor. It's the path of dignity. It's the path of recognition. This is their version of that. That's why they're doing this. Verse 37, when he was come nigh or near, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, a whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, and rightfully they should have, for all the mighty works that they had seen. Envision for a moment yourself in that dusty side trail in the image of Christ here you've heard him preach you've seen miracles you have contemplated his parables and now there's something unique about this this moment catches your attention and before long someone begins to praise the Lord the rejoicing soon spreads Verse 38, here's their praise, their song, their hymn of momentary bliss and excitement, of momentary anticipation of what's ahead. Here's their praise, verse 38, saying, Blessed be the King that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Their words certainly ring true. They ring true today, nearly 2,000 years after this account recorded for us, of what Christ was displaying and what the disciples there were, were seeing overwhelmed them. I trust today God's word will not impact our hands, but it will impact our hearts. And so we come before him with that thought in our mind. Let's pray as we commit this time before him. Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you for this day that commemorates this event. And may what we see and hear about this event calls us to begin this week with an attitude of sanctity, of holiness, of righteousness, of anticipation. We know where this story goes. We know what lies ahead, and we know what the end result is this time next week. And so we rejoice in knowing that you do all things for your glory, for our good, for the sake of the gospel. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Today I want to bring you a message entitled, I'm entitling Keeping the Palm in Palm Sunday. 
And in doing so, I want us to look at this passage and some of the things that, that, that we can frame it with. And whether Palm Sunday is a new event for you, maybe you've not thought about it before. Maybe you're kind of, maybe yourself wondering what's, what's this all about. Maybe Palm Sunday is a familiar reference point to you as we start this Holy Week. Regardless of your placement, I trust today we'll all be able to frame Palm Sunday and the things I want to present to us. So let's look at them. With this image behind us, let's talk about the prophecy that is fulfilled here. Now there's a, there's a, a little prophecy, I'm calling it. The little prophecy is when Jesus says to the disciples, when you go in, here's what you'll find. And when somebody asks of you, here's what you'll say. That itself is a small miracle in many ways. There is such a thing as a small miracle. But the greater prophecy that overshadows this passage is not referenced except in Matthew. And I don't want to turn there for time's sake because even in Matthew's gospel, it says this was done that it might be fulfilled of what the prophet said. So I have to let you chase that trail down a little bit yourself, but let me give you the, the intent of it and the heart of it. The prophecy of Christ riding in on this colt is accurate to the last detail in a prophecy that was given nearly 500 years earlier. And to find that prophecy, we'd have to go to the prophet Zechariah. Probably not one of those books you jump right into if you need a devotion. But it's there in the Old Testament. Zechariah, let me introduce him to you just briefly. Zechariah is one of the prophets of the southern kingdom of Israel after Israel as a nation has been taken into captivity by the Babylonians. If you don't know the reference point for that, go chase it down, but many of you will. Israel was taken into captivity by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. And they were taken to Babylon, what we call modern-day Iran. And after a period of time, according to, the, according to the Lord's prophecy even of that event, after 70 years, they were able to come back and begin to rebuild Jerusalem. The reference point for most of us is Nehemiah. is the Old Testament book that tells of that rebuilding. But the rebuilding of the walls was only part of the rebuilding. And in bringing the Israelites back, they were led by Nehemiah was one. Ezra was another one. He was a prophet and a priest. He would reestablish the temple worship there. And then there was also a political leader, uh, Zerubbabel. It's in that time frame of them there back at, the, at Jerusalem trying to rebuild, and it goes slowly, that this prophet Zechariah steps into the picture. And the Lord uses Zechariah, who was a priest and a prophet, to remind the people of God's call to rebuild the temple. And in doing so, the Lord used him to prophesy some of Israel's future events, not in every detail, but he prophesies some of the greatness that is to come, as if he were saying, you do your part. Your heart for Israel will be rewarded as Israel is rebuilt, the temple is reestablished. And God has great things ahead. As part of the prophecy that Zechariah gives in chapter 9, verse 9, again, some 500 years before Christ, he says these words, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. 
Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king comes unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly, or we might say humble, and riding upon a donkey and upon a colt. 500 years before this event we just read about and is recorded in all four Gospels, Zechariah was given these words by the Lord. Palm Sunday is a fulfillment of a prophecy. And we can read through that passage very quickly. Again, only Matthew mentions it. But Matthew is focusing on the Jews' perspective, so we expect him to mention it. And in this setting, Jesus indeed fulfills Zechariah's words. Think about it. I wonder, for 500 years, when they went back and read Zechariah's words, I wonder how often they said, I wonder when this will happen. This hasn't happened yet. Another generation comes and goes. Another generation comes and goes. This hasn't happened yet. I think it was in the minds of those in Jerusalem thinking that maybe someday, maybe in our lifetime, this king will come riding on a colt. And evidently that thought struck their mind. Maybe the Lord inspired someone to say, ah, the words of Zechariah, they're being fulfilled. And maybe that's what ignited the enthusiasm and excitement of the disciples. The Lord is coming riding. That king that Zechariah prophesied about is here, bringing with him salvation. The prophecy itself cannot be ignored because it's a key part. It is one of many, several hundred prophecies of Jesus from the Old Testament. So the prophecy, we want to frame our thoughts of Palm Sunday in the prophecy. But let's also frame our thoughts of Palm Sunday in the actuality of the event. This actually happened. It's not just recorded once in the Gospels, it's recorded by each one of the Gospel writers. You'll find it given in Matthew 21, as I referenced earlier, here in Luke 19, Mark 11, and John chapter 12. If you read all four of those passages, you find the parallel that lays out a very clear framework for this event. It actually happened. And the response from those who followed Christ grew into a crescendo of praise and glorifying God. After all, they had seen and heard and witnessed things that could not have been imagined apart from Jesus Christ. This historical event was the one that would start a series of events that would lead through this week ahead, including where Jesus would chase out the money changers in order to purify the temple. It would lead later to the Passover meal shared in that upper room as all the Jews were gathering that evening for Passover. It would be there at the Passover that Jesus would introduce this new covenant. We will talk about it more Wednesday evening. It would be there in the upper room that he would be betrayed by Judas as he leaves to later come back and identify him as Jesus in the garden. It would lead to the garden where he prayed, Father, not my will, but yours. And in sweating those great drops of blood due to the pressure upon his physical body, but soon after that he would be arrested, identified as the one whom the guards were sent to take. 
He, of course, would later then be beaten and mocked and tortured. First to Pilate, then to Herod, back to Pilate, drugged through uh, a, a series of trials that were not only illegal but immoral, only to be declared by Pilate, I find no fault in him. But for the cause of political expediency and religious intolerance, the sinful hearts of men crucified the very Son of God. But it was ultimately the cause for which he came into the world. This actual event brought before us a reality of the spotless Lamb that had been the focus of Israel's attention for so many generations. A spotless lamb sent from God himself, who was God, inhabiting a human body that he might taste death for all. Not as a martyr for some just cause or as an accident of the legal system. No, he died as the perfect son of God, fulfilling the promise of salvation delivered through the son, uh, through the blood of an innocent one. And of course his death on that, after that hill at Calvary, followed by an entombment where three days later he arose. I have more to say about that next Sunday. Indeed, the actuality of the event sets in motion a series of things that we need to be reminded of. And I trust it'll be a challenge to all of us. This week, sometime during each day of the week, think on what history records for us and the Bible affirms to us as happened in all the events that brought us to this place of Calvary and this issue of salvation. It is the prophecy of Palm Sunday, it is the authenticity, the actuality of Palm Sunday that we examine, but it's also the Lord of Palm Sunday that we need to examine. Who is this king? This one comes riding in peace, riding a colt. Now there's great significance in, in that imagery and the reality of that because riding a colt was an act of humility. A king, a conqueror, would ride a stallion. That's the imagery of the one who comes in the mind of the world. But in God's plan, the king would ride in on a colt. Yes, there will be a day when the Lord will ride in on a stallion. Our pastor has been reminding us of that. He will come as the conquering king, and he will mount that stallion. But in this case, on this Palm Sunday, he rides in on a colt. This, of course, follows his three years of ministry. The preaching of righteousness, of God's mercy and grace, he taught in such a way that the people were astonished. Never a man has taught like this, they would say. He healed the blind, he healed the lame, the paralyzed, and the diseased. He preached sermons to the multitudes, yet he taught individuals in small groups, many times around a table. Sometimes in passing, let's stop here at the well, have a conversation with this woman. 
Let's take the time to talk to these fishermen. See where their life is headed. His parables put spiritual truth at a level we could all understand. His miracles were evidence of his divine nature and his divine power. Yet, he was fully human. All God and all human. So he understood what it meant to be hungry, to thirst. He understood being tired, exhaustion, is easy to read in many of the passages of the Gospels. The pressures of life, he understood those. Demands upon your time, unexpected request, yes, he knew those. He even knew temptation, but yet he was without sin. Because he was God in flesh, sinless, could only be the character that we would expect of him. That made him the perfect sacrifice for our sin, the only acceptable sacrifice. For sin always requires a sacrifice. There's always justice to pay for sin. And we have all sinned. So we are all eliminated from being even able to save ourselves. We need a perfect savior, and that is Jesus Christ, the living Lord, the king who came in to Jerusalem that morning, riding nothing more than a colt. Not with an entourage of great fanfare, but with praise from the common folk. I love the way the gospel writer John, there present on Palm Sunday, John would finish his gospel with these words, the end of chapter 21. And there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written every one, he says, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. The multitude of the things that Christ did would astound us all. What we have preserved for us in God's word is a sampling, but what a powerful sampling it is. Yes, we remember this, our Lord, the one who came in, not just as a religious leader or the newest rabbi in Jerusalem, but the one who comes in the very Son of God, the one who comes in humility, the one who comes in fulfilling prophecy, so that an actual event might reveal to us a living Lord. But our framework does not end there. Palm Sunday indeed, a glorious reminder. As we frame it in our mind from the words we read of Scripture, let us frame it with a purpose that reminds us still that Jesus Christ came to do for humanity what humanity could not do for itself, provide salvation. That purpose of fulfillment that was given on the cross was a purpose that only could be done and satisfied by the very Son of God himself. Of this Lord, Peter, yes, he's in that crowd too. Peter, in Acts 4.12, would remind us, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Acts, and you shall be saved. You see, these all are important follows, follow up to the events of the Holy Week that we prepare to enter as we come into Palm Sunday. They give us meaning to Palm Sunday. It's not just another day on a religious calendar or to a day to identify with some extra decorations of palms or even with special music. No, it's a reminder that the Lord has provided himself to be the salvation that we so desperately need. The scripture tells us in Romans, as the apostle Paul would write, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, there's meaning. Palm Sunday stands, and as it does open, as it, we can think of it opening a door for us to lead us down this reality of exactly who Jesus is so that we too might believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that we might once again echo in our hearts the conversation Jesus had one-on-one -on -one with Nicodemus when he said, Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We need to hear those echoes as we approach Palm Sunday, as we come into this Holy Week. You see, Palm Sunday reminds us of God's invitation to receive his gift of eternal life. As Ephesians reminds us, by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift, a gift of God. Palm Sunday reminds us of God's invitation to receive his gift. Palm Sunday reminds us of God's intent for us to rejoice in this moment, to share in the perspective of Scripture that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, the living Lord and Savior, who through him and him alone is salvation provided. As Jesus enters Jerusalem on that Sunday, whatever image we paint of it with brush or with our mind, we need to realize and see him today ready to enter our life. If he is not your Lord and Savior, that invitation still stands. That intent is still appropriate. To receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior is the ultimate purpose of Christ coming to earth to begin with. He came that he might be our Savior, our Lord, and our King. Have we, like those in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, opened the door to let him in? Have we received of his grace and mercy? Do we know the promise of eternal life that's given through Jesus Christ? For you see, he is a worthy king. He is a king to be celebrated, a king to be honored, a king to be exalted, and a king to be praised. We stopped our reading at verse 38. We need to cover a couple more verses before we completely finish. Look with me at verse 39. In this great entrance scene, verse 39 tells us, and some of the Pharisees from among the multitude, 
There's always some Pharisees lurking around in the shadows, it seems like. Here they are. The Pharisees and the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke, stop, tell them to quit your disciples, rebuke your disciples. What an interesting request. There's always those who want to stop the process of God's exaltation. There's always those who want to say, that's far enough. There's always those who want to say, oh, that, we can't have this going on. You keep your church stuff in church. That Jesus stuff, take it home with you. But we, it stops here. Our culture is full of it. Have you seen it lately? When the reality is what, exactly what Jesus said. And he answered and said to them in verse 40, I might even have it up here now. Look at it. Yeah, there we go. Let me get to a while ago. He answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these, these disciples, this multitude, if these hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. You know who's dumber than a rock? Somebody that won't praise Jesus. Because Jesus says, even the rocks will praise me. So today, I want to bring us to a point of reality, a reality check. Are we dumber than rocks? Don't think on that very long. I hope you don't have to. Because I want us to do exactly what the disciples did that day. I want you to stand with me. And we're going to repeat the words. We're going to exclaim the words. We're going to praise the Lord with these words. This is right from the scripture text we just read. Here's what the disciples did. And I want to prove to us, and I want to prove to the Pharisees that might be lurking in the shadows, that we're not dumber than rocks. Say it with me. But don't say it. Proclaim it. And we're not going to proclaim it once. I just have this sensation that the disciples didn't just say it once. We're going to say it. And we're going to say it as we mean it because we know where this story goes. We know what the presence of the king in the city means. And let that be our heart's desire today. Will you say it with me? Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Do it again. Blessed be the king that comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. That's the message the world needs to hear from us. In a time when war dominates the news. Sad but true. In a time when sin permeates the society. Sad but true. In a time when hopelessness seems to reign let us be reminded that we have a world to tell that there's a king we serve who brings peace and hope. Remain standing as men will come for closing song. Father, we bow before you today in our hearts and with our lives to say that you are the king eternal. You're the one who is blessed and we praise your name. 
we exalt you. The king who entered the city that day on the colt is the king who seeks to enter our hearts to be the king and Lord of our lives. And may that be true of each of us today. But Lord, you know each heart. You know where we are and where we need to be. And I pray that you'll draw us unto yourself. I pray that you will find in us the capacity to praise you well and to praise you rightly. For we live in a world, we live in a time that needs to hear the praise of those who are your disciples. May we follow that truth. I pray that you today will do a work in our hearts. May we this week, every day this week, find ourselves looking at the cross to see again your wonderful love for us. And whether it's through words or whether it's through music or whether it's through just silent meditation, I pray that we'll find a way to praise you. Give us this week for your glory, for our strengthening and our good that's ahead for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Familiar tune, I know. They're going to lead us here. Let's do a verse here just as I am. 